Isaiah chapter 7. I want to give the sort of background of the verses that Linda read there from Isaiah 9, but to do that we'll have to go to Isaiah 7. And the four themes of Advent, hope, peace, love, and joy. This is peace. We all want peace, don't we? Have you ever used the phrase, give me head peace? Or I just want a bit of peace, a uh, sort of polite way of saying, leave me alone. <laughs> you know, go away. I want, I want to be on my own right now. Give me head peace. Leave me alone. Um, it was, I found it difficult to get to sleep last night. And uh, that is a rare thing. I, I am, my ability to get to sleep is the stuff of legend. Like I can be asleep within, what, how many seconds? Uh, yeah, as, as the head's on the way down to the pillow, I'm gone. And that's, that's actually a really nice way to be. But last night it took a bit longer. And I said to Linda um, this morning, it took a while to get to sleep last night. And said I didn't have any coffee late. Or, and the reality was I know why I didn't get to sleep. I think it was being convicted by my own message. The, the perils of, of preaching. If you spend all day Saturday thinking about something, then you lie in bed and you continue to think about it and you become really convicted that you maybe shouldn't actually be talking about it. The subject of peace. Do you have peace? At Advent, we think about these four themes, hope and peace and love and joy. And four themes that I guess when you look at our society, they are absent or they're not as present as we would like them to be. As you just talking to Jimmy there about his, his travels this week and different places we go and, and you can just feel it in the air. There is no hope and there is no real peace. There's stress and strain and anxiety. And at Advent, we think about Jesus who came to bring those things. And we also think uh, about his second Advent and his glorious future appearing when those things will be brought in fullness and completeness. So we talk about peace today and you could say, but there's still conflict in the world. There's still war in the world. There always will be. But when he returns... All of that, you know, the peace that he has given us, that he has put inside his people, that peace will cover the world and those wars and conflicts will cease. But there's a lack of peace in society. Um, People are troubled. People are afraid. Uh, Relational strain probably takes peace away quicker than anything else. Whenever there's conflict in a relationship, it, it, it causes turmoil and chaos in our hearts rather than peace. We yearn for peace. And anxiety is something that I, not very many years ago, anxiety was you were slightly worried about some little thing that was coming up, whereas anxiety now is a big, big deal. I have kids in school who are phenomenally talented, academically brilliant, healthy, good home background. Everything looks so good. And yet they're wracked with anxiety. And, and, and it really, it's, it, they're not exaggerating and they're not sort of playing uh, in order to get attention. They genuinely are consumed with anxiety. And it's so hard to understand and figure out where does it come from because everything looks absolutely rosy. Anxiety is ripping through society. There is little peace. And you've probably met lots of different people this week. And if you could put them in categories, you've probably met some busy people. You put them in the busy box and you've maybe met some people who are a bit stressed. 
and you put them in the stress box. Some people that are active and you put, and some people that are tired and you maybe put them there in the tired box. Have you met anyone who you would say, goodness me, that person's life is marked with peace? <laughs> um, and if we, if we spin that and bring it a bit closer to home, if somebody spent 24 hours or a week with you or with me, would they go away with the conclusion that person has a lot of peace in their heart? <laughs> I feel badly there. I think this is why I was lying awake last night, you know, thinking about my day yesterday. And uh, it started off trying to get 10-year-olds to play football in a coherent manner, which is like herding cats. If you've ever heard of the phrase herding cats, it's, it's pretty similar to that. Um, and, and it ended with me getting a wee bit frustrated with somebody else's driving. And I thought, I haven't shown much peace today. I haven't shown much peace. Do we use the wrong metrics, I think, to measure our maturity in Christ? We maybe think about how many books we read or how loud we sing or how many meetings we go to whenever one of the things that will really show whether or not we are maturing in faith is are our hearts ruled by peace? The problem, I think, with the lack of peace is that we were designed to, our, our lives to revolve around God and we have, we have turned everything on its head and we expect everything to revolve around me. And whenever I expect everything to revolve around me, then the slightest little inconvenience is a case of how dare you, the world revolves around me and you have disrupted my world. Whereas if our worlds revolved around God, then the things that irritate us and take away our peace probably would not be as good at doing that as they are. The Hebrews have a beautiful word for peace. Shalom. Say shalom. 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 Beautiful, beautiful word. And a word that in English we just don't really have uh, an appropriate word that that can translate straight into. Because we think peace, we think the absence of conflict, or we think a wee bit of quietness. Uh, whereas shalom is much more than that. Shalom has to do with, with well-being. Just complete, all-round, overall well-being. Isaiah 48, we'll come back to later. Your peace would have been like a river. Your well-being like the waves of the sea. If you met a Jewish person and they were saying hello to you, they would say shalom. And after you chat with them for a while and they're leaving the conversations over, they would say shalom. <laughs> they use it to say hello and they use it to say goodbye. And it's not just a general wish that you would have an absence of conflict in your life. It is them asking God to bless you with this all-round well-being in your relationships, in your health, in your work, in your family, in everything, that everything would be right, that everything would be as it should be. That's what is meant by the word shalom. And that's God's peace. Now, go to Isaiah chapter 7. And I'm going to give you a little bit of the background to what Linda read earlier. The first couple of verses of Isaiah chapter 7 sets the scene, but it's quite a confusing scene. So I'll explain it to you in a minute. When Ahaz, son of Jotham, the son of Uzziah, was king of Judah. Right. Ahaz, king of Judah. King Rezin of Aram, which is also known as Syria. And Pekah, the son of Ramaliah, king of Israel, marched up to fight against Jerusalem, but they could not overpower it. Now, lots of names and lots of stuff going on there. I'll explain in a second. Verse 2, the house of David, this was Judah, this is where Ahaz is the king. The house of David was told, 
Aram has allied itself with Ephraim, and the hearts of Ahaz and his people were shaken. No peace. (laughs) Their hearts were shaken, as the trees of the forest are shaken by the wind. So here's what we've got in a nutshell. Ahaz is king of Judah. Syria and Israel have formed an alliance because another nation called Assyria is coming to attack. And Israel and Syria have formed this alliance to try to protect themselves from the Assyrian attack. And they've come to King Ahaz of Judah to say, you need to join us. And Ahaz shouldn't be joining with them. And he knows he shouldn't be joining with them. His call is to trust God. And Isaiah will say to Ahaz a wee bit later, you need to stand firm in your faith. Don't make alliances with these other nations. Stand firm and trust God to deliver you from this threat. But Ahaz is listening to the threatening voices around him. That will steal your peace. The threatening voices. These other two nations that have come and said, you have to ally with us. Those are threatening voices in Ahaz's heart, creating an unsettled lack of peace. The bigger threat from Assyria who are going to attack, that is creating more upset in his heart. And sometimes our anxiety and our lack of peace is due to what's going on around us and the voices that are speaking to us. And sometimes the threat is very real. But who knows if you struggle with anxiety that sometimes the threat isn't real. It's perceived and in our minds it becomes real, but it's not actually real. And Ahaz is He has lost his peace because of these threats. And his temptation is to find peace by joining with these other kings that he should not be joining with instead of trusting God. And how often are we tempted to sort of medicate the lack of peace in our hearts? I don't know about you. Some of us like to fix everything. I'm a bit of a fixer. I like to fix stuff. And it's not good because that can lead to even less peace as you burn yourself out trying to fix things and address things. But Ahaz is tempted to to address his lack of peace. And Isaiah says to him, no, Ahaz, do not go to these other nations to deal with your lack of peace and to deal with the threats that are coming. Stand firm in your faith or you won't stand at all. Trust God. And the temptation is to look elsewhere. Linda started the reading earlier in chapter 8. The rest of chapter 7 and chapter 8, we have these prophetic children. Isaiah and Mrs. Isaiah get together and have several children with wacky names that are prophetic in terms of what they're going to symbolize to the nation. One of those children obviously looks forward to Jesus. He's called Emmanuel. But at the end of chapter 8, Isaiah again is speaking to Ahaz and warning him and warning the people, be careful where you go to deal with your lack of peace. He says, when someone tells you to consult mediums and spiritists who whisper and mutter, should not a people inquire of their God? And we read that and we think, nah, mediums and spiritists, you don't get much of that. Again, just a conversation before church this morning. The darkness that is in a lot of our towns um, is, is really apparent. You go into a shop and you'll find these wee shops popping up, particularly around the coast and in sort of touristy places. These shops that sell crystals and they sell little statues and they sell cards, not, not just cards for, not a game of Uno, it's okay, children, Uno's fine, uh, but 
tarot cards and others cards and they sell um, books of spells and you know 10-15 years ago you probably would if you wanted to get a book of spells you probably would have had to go to a fairly specialist shop but now you go into a tiny little bookshop that doesn't have a great selection of books and there will be books on spells <laughs> it's unreal and there is there I think you know people say society is becoming more and more secular I'm not sure I think society is becoming more spiritual but going to all the wrong places to satisfy their spiritual hunger. And these things I think are becoming more popular and you hear some random stuff and random ideas from people about how they're trying to find peace. And they're going to all of these different places looking for peace. And Isaiah says, don't go there. He says, go to God instead. Consult God's instruction. If someone brings a a, a word different from that, they have no light. The crystals have no light. And the books of spells have no light and the cards have no light and the little statues have no light and the other things that people go to to medicate their lack of peace whether it's alcohol or drugs or pornography or or whatever none of them have any light in them and Isaiah says don't go to those things for peace go to God listen to God in order to find peace and then he paints a horrific picture at the end of chapter 8, which again, you think this, this sounds extreme, but just think about our nation and think about the people that you walk past on the street and maybe some people that you know and listen to how Isaiah describes a people who have sought peace somewhere other than God. Distressed and hungry, they will roam through the land, roaming, okay, wandering, aimless directionless when they are famished they become enraged and looking upwards they will curse their king and their god so people have rejected what god offers tried to figure things out on their own and then in a form of spiritual insanity they get angry with god and they start wagging their finger at god and cursing god God comes and offers peace. He comes and offers grace. People reject it, look for it in other places, end up distressed and hungry and roaming and full of rage and direct their rage at God or at their leaders. Now, we don't have a king. We have a queen. And nobody in Northern Ireland speaks badly of the queen, (laughs) uh, or very few. But we'll curse our leaders. Has this become really apparent in the last 18 months? People are very, very quick to curse their, their politicians, all of them. And some politicians are not doing a great job. Some of them are doing a fabulous job. Okay? But people who lack peace will just lash out at everything that that looks like authority, leadership, help, or God. They will look towards the earth and see only distress and darkness and fearful gloom, and they will be thrust into utter darkness. How will God deliver peace to this situation? That's painted here in Isaiah 7 and Isaiah 8. This stark warning to the king of Judah to not look for peace in other places. How is God going to deliver peace into that? Linda read it earlier. He's not going to come as a God of war. He's going to come as a prince of peace. Four beautiful titles that are used in Isaiah 9, 6. Looking ahead to Jesus. Wonderful counselor. Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Somehow through this child that will be born, 
peace is going to come. Peace with God, peace with others. Somehow this prince will bring reconciliation to all of our broken relationships. And 700 years later in the first century, there was an annual celebration of peace. It was not Christmas and it was nothing to do with Jesus. It was called Pax Romana. And Pax Romana means the peace of Rome. Rome was very proud of the fact that it brought peace to the places where it ruled. And Caesar, whenever Caesar was born, Augustus Caesar, there's an inscription in a place called Pyrene that talks about a saviour has been born, the Lord. It's not Jesus, it's Caesar. Okay, in, 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 in Greek it's Kaiser Soter, Caesar is saviour, Kaiser Kurios, Caesar is Lord. And, and they had this celebration of the birth of Caesar. A, a son, a saviour has been born. He was referred to as a son of God. A saviour has been born to us. He is Lord. And that's how they spoke of Caesar in the first century. And Caesar brought peace. But the way he brought peace was very different from the way God brings peace. Here's a, a Roman coin. That attractive lady on the back of the coin is the goddess Pax, goddess of peace, on one side of the coin. On the other side of the coin is a picture of Caesar, and Caesar's carrying a spear. Because the way Rome brought peace was to crush everyone who opposed Rome. In AD 70, when they attacked Jerusalem, they crucified so many people on the road into Jerusalem that they ran out of wood. As you walked into Jerusalem, both sides of the road, horrific, just crosses and bodies the whole way along both sides of the road. And when you went into Jerusalem, you didn't oppose Rome. That's how they achieved peace, by crushing everyone who opposed them. That is not how Jesus will bring peace. A message comes in Luke chapter 2. You'll read it in your Advent readings. We'll read it at the carol service. Do not be afraid. I bring you good news that will cause great joy for all the people. Today in the town of David, a saviour. A real saviour. Not Caesar. A real saviour has been born to you. He is Messiah. He is the Lord. You you listen to that in the context of a first century person who's hearing over and over again about how Caesar is Lord and Caesar is Savior. And the angel says, no, 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 no. A Savior's come. The Lord has come. Glory to God in the highest heaven and on earth. Peace. The long-awaited shalom is coming. The prince of shalom is coming. The child that Isaiah spoke of has been born. And these shepherds, terrified because if they knew the old testament a lot of the time when an angel shows up in the old testament there's an execution (laughs) and they're probably a wee bit concerned that maybe their conversation around the fire that night was not pleasing to god and he sent an angel to just wipe them out but no the angel brings good news that this child long awaited this prince of peace has been born and jesus then comes and he promises a gift of peace says to the disciples, peace I leave with you, my peace I give to you. I do not give to you as the world gives. I don't give peace via crystals and little statues and cards and books of spells and wine and 
cocaine. I don't give peace like the world gives peace. Because you see, the problem is a heart problem. And the things that the world gives us to deal with the the lack of peace in our hearts, they're all external. They're all a brief feel-good. They don't get to the root of the problem. Jesus says, I give you a different peace. Do not let your hearts be troubled. Don't be afraid. The kinds of peace that Jesus brings are peace with God. I'm going to look briefly at each of these really briefly. Peace with ourselves and peace with others. Rick Warren very helpfully defines peace with God as eternal peace. Peace with ourselves as internal and peace with others as external. Jesus comes to bring peace on all three of those levels. So first of all, peace with God. Do you know your biggest problem in life? Most of you are aware of this by now. But your biggest problem in life is is not people around you. It's not that difficult individual at work. It's not your lack of finances or the car that you want. Your biggest problem is sin. Okay? That is humanity's biggest problem problem. Isaiah says in 59.1, the arm of the Lord is not too short to save, nor his ear too dull to hear. In other words, there's nothing wrong with God's side of things, okay? God's power, his arm is not too short. He has the power. His ear is not too dull. He can hear the cries of humanity. He knows what humanity needs. The problem is not on God's side of the ledger. The problem is on our side, our iniquities. That's our sin, has separated us from God. Your sins have hidden his face from you so that he will not hear. The problem ultimately that causes a lack of peace in my heart and your heart, which we know how to resolve and we have seen it resolved in Jesus, but many people have not. The root problem is we are at war with God because God hates sin. And as long as we choose sin, we are living in conflict with the Almighty, the Creator, the one who gives us every breath. If we choose sin, we we declare war against Him. We create the conflict with Him because of our sin. That's ultimately, this is the most important piece. The others flow out of this, but this is the most important piece. Romans 5.1, Paul says, we've been justified through faith. We have peace with God. The war is over. That conflict between humanity and God has been dealt with by Jesus at the cross so we can have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. He also talks about it, Paul, in 2 Corinthians 5.18, that God has reconciled us to himself. He has repaired the broken relationship through Christ. And you know I'm obsessed with the word reconciled, and I usually talk a wee bit of Latin when I bring in the word reconciled, but you all know that, so I'm not doing that today. I looked up the Greek word for reconciled yesterday, and it's katalasso. Now, kata means sort of according to. And this might be my imagination, and a Greek scholar might say to me, no, you're getting carried away here. But I saw the word lasso at the end of it, from which we get the word lasso <laughs> or lasso. We always called it a lasso when I was a child, but I think that's probably wrong. Uh, la- what is a lasso? A lasso is that, that rope that the cowboy uses with the big sort of hoop or ring at the end of it and swings it around and, and throws it around a wild horse or a, or a 
a, a bronco bull that's going wild and, and pulls it in. And I just sat, I thought, I saw this yesterday and I sat, I thought, that's class. That's what God's done in Jesus. When he's reconciled us to himself, he has thrown that lasso around us of grace via the cross and pulled us to himself. He has done all the work. We were the wild horse running as hard as we can in the opposite direction. But he has, he has snagged us by his grace and by his love and pulled us to himself. So we have peace with God. Peace with ourselves. This is probably the one that I lay and thought about last night. Let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts. Here's a great question for me to ask myself. And if you want, you can join in. What is ruling my heart? What is ruling my heart? If, you know, there are several subtle idols that can creep into my life. And one of them is the idol of productivity. I love to get stuff done. Anybody else? You know, I can't see your smiles, but I just love getting stuff done. I love seeing something that needs done and thinking, I'm going to do that. I'm going to do it now. And then the wee buzz afterwards, I did that. That's a real idol in my heart that can rob me of peace because instead of just letting the peace of Christ rule my heart and being at rest and being at peace and living at a sensible pace, I'm like, that needs done. I'm going to do it. What rules your hearts? What are the little idols that can creep in and, and rule and reign and tell you what to do? Be productive. Get up and go and do that. What are, the, what are those little idols? Jesus brings a peace that can rule in our hearts and bring quietness and stillness and calm into our hearts. Lovely verse, Colossians 3.15. Let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts. You are called to peace. And then there's peace with others. The church is a community project. You can't do it on your own. When you read about the fruit of the Spirit in Galatians 5, and you read the context of chapter 5 and chapter 6, it's all about community. You can't do the fruit of the Spirit on your own. You cannot go and live in a cave on your own and be loving. There's no one to love. The fruit of the Spirit is worked out in community. We love in community. This is not love for God. The fruit of the Spirit is not love for God. The fruit of the Spirit is love for one another. The fruit of the Spirit is when Matthew the tax collector and Simon the zealot who hate each other decide we're going to love each other. And the Holy Spirit's going to give us the power to love each other. We rejoice in community. The joy you can have, the true joy that you can have on your own is really limited. Rejoicing is always better with other people. It's like watching football. It's okay on your own, but it's so much better with other people. Rejoicing is something we do in community. Peace. That is not, you know, the fruit of the Spirit is peace. I'm at rest and I'm calm and everything's quiet and it's nice. No, no, this is peace in relationships. When the Holy Spirit's at work, there will be peace in relationships. That's why the church has got to, and we've been praying on Tuesday nights a lot, that God would protect the relationships and not allow conflict in. It's so easy for Christians to argue, to argue about theology, to argue about all sorts of things. Currently, a hot topic of argument is probably the topic of vaccines and how to respond to COVID. 
And it's okay to have an opinion, and it's okay to chat about it, but you've got to guard the doors and be careful that conflict doesn't creep in, that the enemy doesn't get a foothold and say, aha, I see a slight disagreement, I'm going to ramp it up. Peace is the fruit of the Spirit with others, wholesome relationships. It is the gold in a church that causes it to be a beautiful thing when somebody else comes into it. Protect it, pray over it, ask God to be the wall of fire around it. Paul talks about this at length, and and I'll I'll fly through this in Ephesians 2. In fact, I'm going to just leave it with you, and you can read it yourselves. At the end of Ephesians 2, he talks about how the Gentiles and the Jews were separate, but yet Jesus has brought them together, and that there's one people of God. Folks, God does not have two people on the planet. He does not have the church on one side and the Jews. He does not have two people. Right? That, is, that is a wrong understanding of the, of the scriptures. God has one people on planet earth. It's the people who follow Jesus. And it doesn't matter where you were born, what blood runs in your veins, what your background is. He has one people and they are united by following Jesus. And he, Paul, Paul talks in Ephesians 2 about how Jesus brought the two together. And he uses a phrase, he, he, he refers to peace over and over. He says, Jesus is our peace. Not just that he brought peace, he is peace. He made peace, he preached peace. He brings unity between people who are separate. He brings them together and he brings reconciliation. If we want to cultivate this peace, and I'm drawn to a close. This, there's a lot in here, you might want to listen again. If you want to cultivate peace, we need to get God's perspective. Back in Isaiah 7 where we started and Ahaz was hearing the threats all around him that was bringing trouble in his heart and trouble to the nation. God speaks a word about the two kings who have come and threatened him. And God says to him, do not lose heart because of these two smoldering stubs of firewood. (laughs) I love it. I love it when God calls it what it is. I love it when Jesus calls Herod a fox. And God says, "They're they're just two burnt out sticks. There's no potential in them for for fire. There's no potential in them to do any harm. They are just smoldering sticks. You need to get God's perspective. The things that are threatening you, if you get a God's eye view of them, they probably won't look as threatening anymore. Elisha in 2 Kings 6 is on a mountain with his servant. And there's an enemy army approaching and the servant's getting a bit twitchy. And Elisha prays that, that God would open his eyes. And when God opens his eyes, the servant sees the angel army around the mountain. When we get God's perspective, the things that take away our peace suddenly don't look as threatening as they first did. We need to obey Sometimes it's really simple. Sometimes the lack of peace in our lives is because we're living in disobedience. <laughs> and it's not rocket science. Isaiah 48, 17, I'm the Lord your God who teaches you what is best for you. Right? You don't know what's best for you unless you're getting what's best from you from what God says. <laughs> I'm God who teaches what's best for you. I direct you in the way you should go. If only you had paid attention. <laughs> It's really simple. If only you paid attention to my commands, your peace would have been like a river. Your shalom. Your shalom would be like the waves of the sea. It's really simple. I've shown you how to live. If you reject how I've shown you how to live, you're rejecting peace. So obeying God would be a good way to protect the peace that's in our hearts. 
Uh, that's again another reading that we'll, we'll hear, I'm sure, over the next few weeks at the end of Zechariah's song in Luke 1. He talks about being guided into the path of peace. If you are guided, that means you're following guidance. <laughs> There's a path of peace and you move along it as you listen to the guidance and as you obey and respond to it. Prayer and worship, wonderful verses in Philippians 4. We worked through Philippians uh, sometime, I can't remember when, earlier this year. Don't be anxious about anything. That's the hardest command in the Bible, right there. Do not murder, no problem. Do not steal, no problem. That's, that's fine, easy. Do not worry, oh dear. <laughs> oh dear, that's a, a harder one to follow. In every situation, by prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, present your requests to God. Come to God in prayer and in thanksgiving. Do this, cultivate this daily habit, prayer and thanksgiving, prayer and worship, and the peace of God, which, which can't be understood, guards your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. It can't be understood. You can't get your head around this peace. And other people can't get their head around it. They look at you and they say, how can you have peace in this situation? And you're like, I don't want to be in this situation. I don't like it. I haven't asked for it. I don't know what's going on, but I know God is good. And I know God loves me. And I have peace that can't be understood. The peace that you can't get your head around gets around your heart and protects it. And Isaiah says something similar about whenever we trust God, we choose to trust him. He keeps us in perfect peace in Isaiah 26.3 when we choose to trust him. All of it is achieved through Jesus and all of it is achieved through the cross. Just as we finish, if you're, if you're getting dull in your concentration, sharpen up for the last two minutes. In John 16, the last words that Jesus says to his disciples in the upper room. The last supper, the last chapter, the last verse. He goes on in chapter 17 to pray, but these are the last things he says to his disciples before he goes to the garden to pray, to be arrested. I've told you these things so that in me you may have peace. That's the word he leaves ringing in their ears. Peace. All of this is so that you might have peace. Peace with God. Peace within yourselves. Peace with others. And then he is crucified. And then he rises from the dead. And then he appears to the disciples in the upper room. Now, I think Jesus thinks carefully about what he says. And I think, you know, if I, if I could be permitted to imagine getting inside his head as he goes to the upper room, how he got there that night, how he got into the room, <laughs> the door was locked. And he somehow passed through the door of the walls and got into the room. I don't understand it. But I'm sure there was something that caused him to think, what will I say? What's the first words of the resurrected king going to be to his disciples as he appears to them after his resurrection? His last word was peace. And his first word was peace. In John 20, verse 19, Jesus came and he stood among them and said, Shalom. <laughs> and they freak out. And he, he says again, he says it twice in verse 19, stands among them and says, Shalom, peace to you. And in verse 21, he says it again, peace to you. And in between, where do you see what he does in between? He shows them his hands. This is class. 
He shows them his hands with the wounds. And he shows them his side with the spear wound. And he says it again, shalom. So if, if I could permit, be permitted to sort of act it out, he, he appears in that room and he says, shalom, peace. And they're all freaking out. And he says, look, shalom. <laughs> shalom. I've brought you peace. My cross, my wounds, the punishment, Isaiah 53, that brought us peace was upon him. The punishment, there, he bore that. Our war that we started with God, he bore the punishment to bring peace and to reconcile us. By his wounds were healed. Paul picks up on it in Colossians 1 that Jesus has made peace through his blood shed on the cross. He has reconciled us to God. This is the Prince of Peace. Not Caesar, but King Jesus. And you cannot have peace without coming to God. And you cannot bring peace to this world that is lacking it. You need to have something to bring. <laughs> you need to have that peace in your own heart so that you can go to the people that you wish were here to hear a message about peace because you know their hearts are troubled. But they're not here. So we need to bring it. We need to live it and exemplify it and bring it to others in the name of Jesus. That's been a bit long and it's packed full, but hopefully there's something there that you can chew on that'll bless you. Let's pray.